we're going we're gonna to jump straight into our message this morning of the story. And um, this is the moment when if you have a smartphone or you have a tablet and you've downloaded our Evangel app, uh, you can open it up. You can search for it on the App Store under Evangel Montreal. And on there are all the announcements and all the information and sign-up sheets and stuff, but also the notes that you can follow along with as we look at Scripture this morning. So we've been doing this uh, series called The Story, and we're really in the very early stages of it. And if you have not been here and you don't know what it's about, what it is is we're taking 31 weeks as a church, give or take, to go chronologically through the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And we're not just doing it on Sunday mornings. We're doing it with our kids and with our youth and with our young adults and with different small groups. We have another small group that started up this week that started doing the story, our ladies' Bible study on Thursdays. Ladies' prayer started doing the story this week. And so our whole church is on track with the same material and the same uh, information every week. And we're growing together as a church as we do that. And so this is what we're doing. And so we've gone through a couple chapters already. And I just want to get your head in the game and in the right spot before we jump in and remind you that what we are seeing so far is right from the very beginning, right from the Garden of Eden when everything went wrong and and free will was exercised and sin became part of our spiritual DNA. Right from that moment, there are hints that point to Jesus. Right from the beginning, right from Genesis, at the very beginning of Scripture, there are hints that point to Jesus and to God's persistent determination to win us back. That God has a plan, that God has this story, and that we are part of it, and he is not giving up. That we were created with purpose, and we were created because God wanted to do life with us and that has not changed. And so we've been seeing that through the last few chapters, and that is still the plan, and we're going to see a little bit more today. So let me give you a little um, context and a little background before we jump in to today's scripture. Here we are. We're now at about uh, 1,900 years before Christ, so the year 1900 B.C., give or take, approximately. And we're in, and, and, and that's, that's the time that we're at. And then we're also going to see a lot of Egypt today. And so I want to talk a little bit about Egypt. So Egypt, for centuries, was, was the ruling power of the ancient world. And so everybody knew that Egypt was the big power. They were the big influence. There were about, from 3000 BC to 300 BC, there were about 30 dynasties that ruled along the Nile River in the nation of Egypt. And Egypt, of course, had rulers over the nation, and they were called pharaohs. And pharaohs ruled over everything. They were the center of culture. They were the center of life, and they were viewed as being intermediaries between the gods and humanity. And so that's what the pharaohs were seen as, almost divine. And so you're going to see, when you go through the Bible and you read it yourself, you're going to see all kinds of references to Egypt in Scripture because Israel is, is located close to there. And it was not uncommon for somebody in the ancient Near East to actually interact with Egypt. So Abraham went to Egypt when there was a famine. And uh, we're going to see Joseph today in Egypt. And uh, in the future, we're going to see Moses. And he's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. And if you ever wondered how they got there in the first place, today is the story that's going to show you that. And, and so, so there's the whole Egypt um, piece that is a part of today's story. You're also going to see a whole lot of references 
to dreams in this chapter of the story today. Dreams were considered very important. Um, They were ways that God communicated with people. And so anybody, uh, whether whether they were Pharaoh or they were just regular common people, they saw dreams as as having the ability to reveal secrets and the ability to to unlock the future and to be able to show what was going to happen. And so entire books would be written by the wise people of the day to help people understand this is how you interpret dreams. And uh, in, in the ancient world, dreams, having a dream would be a good reason to take a certain course of action, to take a certain step, to do this, to make that decision based on dreams. And so, so throughout scripture, you see references to kings who dream and people who dream and actions that were taken because of that. And so you're going to see a lot of that dreams matter in scripture and they matter in the ancient world and they matter in today's story. Okay. So today, we're jumping into the story, and if you have the book right here, you want to open it up, and we're on chapter 3, and some of you have already read it. And if you don't have the book or you didn't bring it with you, we put a link in the mail that goes out every single week so that you could read the scripture ahead of time. So some of you have read it already. And so we're on chapter 3, and it's all about Joseph, and the title is From Slave to Deputy Pharaoh. Now, that's a long journey. Okay, so let me back up and tell you what's been happening. So Joseph, as a kid, Joseph is the son of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. So we've been following that through. And Joseph now is one of Jacob's sons, and he has 11 brothers. He has 10 brothers that are older than him and one little brother that is younger than him. And Joseph is dad's favorite. How many know that's going to cause problems in a family, right? So Joseph is the favorite. He knows it. The brothers know it. Everybody knows. He's dad's favorite. And, and you know, dad, I presume, is trying to do a good job in, in dadding, parenting. Uh, but but he's just, he's clearly, jo- he's, he picks out Joseph, goes, he's my favorite. And, he, and so it makes the brothers, the rest of the brothers, pretty resentful. They don't really like that very much, of course. And, and jo- Jacob doesn't make it any better when he goes, you know, I'm going to get a really expensive really showy, really amazing coat of many colors for my son Joseph. And the other brothers are going, hello, what are we, chopped liver? All we have is beige coats, and Joseph gets a multicolored coat, and so that doesn't help at all. And then Joseph, okay, so, you know, there's times when, you know, you know your dad's favorite, and dad's giving you a coat, and stuff, but you still need to have some kind of wisdom in how you handle that. And Joseph is lacking in wisdom as a child, as we all are. And he has a couple of dreams where he dreams that all of his brothers bow down to him. Now, how many know that is not a dream that you want to tell those brothers? But he does twice. So now he's the brother that's dad's favorite. He's the brother that's got, you know, the amazing coat. And he's the brother that keeps going on about having dreams that says all the other brothers are going to bow down to him. So this relationship is not good. And Reuben is the oldest brother, and he tries to sort of keep a lid on the whole thing and keep things under control, but he doesn't really have enough influence to do that. And so the only one that gets along with Joseph is his little brother, whose name is Benjamin. How many are following along so far? Good? Okay, so that's the background, and that helps us now understand what comes next. One day, when Joseph is about 17 years old, he gets sent to go find his brothers. Now, the family are a family of shepherds, and so they take the sheep and they go out into different fields and different counties and different regions. They're not home every night. They're kind of like truckers. You know, they're gone for a week or gone for a couple weeks at a time. And so, so Joseph has not gone with them, but the other brothers, the older brothers, are out with the sheep, and Jacob wants to know how they're doing. 
And so Jacob sends Joseph with his fancy coat to go check on the brothers and see how they're doing. So Joseph goes, okay. And he goes trucking along, and he's going up this hill and down this and, you know, across the fields. And, of course, they see him coming from a long way away because he's got the coat. So he's got the multicolored coat, and they can see him, and they, they see him in the distance, and they just go, right? And it is all of them just, I don't like that guy. And it doesn't matter that he's their brother. There's just been years of resentment building up and bitterness. And and they see him coming. And this unreasonable hatred starts to bubble up in these brothers. And and I don't know what happens. I don't know. I don't know if this is like a mob mentality that takes over them. I don't know if they're all drinking a little too much and therefore kind of stupid. I don't know what goes on. Something horrible happens and they go, they see their brother coming and they not only just go, but they go, this is it. This is our chance. Let's kill him. What? Let's kill him. And, they, and they, so they, they nearly kill him. He gets there, and they grab him, and they throw him in a pit, and they go, yeah, we're just going to kill him. But then they decide, well, actually, actually, we could make more profit, and we could do more for ourselves. If we don't kill him, we'll sell him. Why don't we sell him into slavery? And there happens to be a couple of merchants going by who are, are slave traders, and so they sell their brother to merchants, to strangers going by. They sell him into slavery to Egypt and they all high five each other and pocket the money. And then they take his coat and they rip it up and put some animal blood on it and then go home to their dad and go, yeah, uh, we found this. I don't know. I think it's Joseph's. He must be dead. That's cold. Remember, remember a, a, a week or two ago, we said about God's description of humanity that every inclination of their hearts was towards evil. Okay, that, that's what's happening here. And so, so Joseph lands in, in a decent setting, you know, considering he's a slave. And he's in Egypt as a slave, but he lands in a, in a good place, a good home. He gets along fine with his master. His master really thinks highly of, of Joseph, and so he raises him up. And so everything is going, you know, sort of good. He's in Egypt now. And, and then his master's wife uh, falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. And so there's no justice. You know, it's his master's wife that said it, and Joseph is just a slave. And so there's no trial. There's no anything. He's just thrown into jail, which is probably a dungeon. And he's left there for about two years. So while Joseph is in jail there, there's two other prisoners that are there in jail with him, and they are two of Pharaoh's servants. Remember, they're in Egypt, and Pharaoh is the king of everything. Okay, so two of his servants, for whatever reason, have landed in jail. And both of those servants have dreams. And they're talking about their dreams one day to each other. And Joseph overhears them, and they go, we don't know what our dreams mean. And he goes, I think I can help you with that. And so he interprets their dreams and says, this is what I think the dreams mean. And his interpretations come true. So he tells one of them, you're, you're actually, you know, you're, you're at the end. You're going to be beheaded. And sure enough, he is. And then he says to the other one, you're going to be restored to your position in court with Pharaoh. And sure enough, he is. And so that guy goes back to court and some time goes by. And then Pharaoh has dreams. And remember Pharaoh, you know, dreams are considered a big, big deal. And Pharaoh goes, I keep having these dreams and I don't know what they mean. Somebody needs to tell me what they mean. And all the wise people whose jobs it is, all his advisors who are supposed to know how to interpret dreams and they're supposed to know what they mean, they can't come up with an answer. And Pharaoh is freaking out. And that's when his servant, the one who had been in jail, goes, hey, 
I met a guy when I was in the dungeon. And his name is Joseph, and he can interpret dreams. So Joseph gets brought up from the dungeon straight up to Pharaoh, and, and, and Pharaoh tells him his dreams, and Joseph interprets them. And Joseph says, this is what the dreams mean. Egypt is about to have seven really good years. Seven years of amazing crops, bumper crops. The economy is just going to go right through the roof. It's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be amazing for seven years. And then, he said, there's going to be seven years of nothing. Nothing's going to grow. You're not going to have enough food. And there's going to be famine. And he says, Pharaoh, God is giving you a heads up. He wants you to know what's coming. And so Pharaoh says to Joseph, because Joseph is the guy who's just interpreted his dreams. So he's, he's coming up quickly in Pharaoh's eyes. He says to Joseph, what should I do? And Joseph goes, well, if I was you, I would say you need to appoint somebody really wise to oversee all of this and for the next seven years to manage all the excess grain that you're going to have and store it somewhere and save it up so that when the seven years of famine come, there is grain that you can, you can sell and that you can share so that your people won't go hungry. I think you should appoint somebody to be in charge of that. And Pharaoh said, okay, it's you. And so just like that, the guards, you know, who dragged Joseph up from the dungeon and probably kicked him around a bit while they did and dragged him in and called him names and all of that. Now he's their boss, just like that. And he's second in command in Egypt. There's nobody more important than him in Egypt except Pharaoh. That's how big a deal dreams are in ancient Egypt. So, so now everything has changed in Joseph's story several times. <laughs> if you've been following it. It just keeps changing and changing and changing. And, and, and if you just pause for a moment and go, okay, how does this fit in God's story? Like it's just, it just doesn't quite make sense. Because here we have in God's story, you know, we started with the Garden of Eden and then we went to Noah and then we went to Abraham and there was a promise given to Abraham that you are going to have many descendants and I'm going to make a nation out of you and the whole world's going to be blessed through you. And Abraham goes, great. And then Abraham has Isaac and the promise is passed on to Isaac. And then the promise is passed on to Jacob and, and added to the promise for Jacob is not just you're going to have many descendants and there's going to be a nation that's going to come out of you and there's going to be all nations will be blessed through you, but also and there's going to be this land that's attached to it. I will give you land. And that's part of the promise as well. And for Joseph, he's one of Jacob's sons and he's going, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it. If he's thinking about it at all, he has to, he has to, I mean, he knows that his great grandpa Abraham had this promise. And he knows then that grandpa Isaac had this promise. And he knows that his dad, Jacob, had the promise, and he's been raised uh, until he was, you know, 17 years old. He was raised being told that the promise was being passed on to him and to his brothers. And, but there has to be moments when Joseph wonders during all of this up and down and up and down if maybe, maybe there was a little mistake there. Maybe he's not part of God's promise after all. Maybe he's not part of God's story. Because Joseph is in Egypt, and he's cut off from his family. There is no path home. There is no, uh, you know, maybe I can just go online and Google them and find them. He's never going to see them again. He's completely cut off from his family and his family is part of the promise. And he's in Egypt. He's not in the land of Canaan, in the promised land where, where God had said that that's where the promise happened. He's not there. He's in Egypt and he has no way of going home. And so he knows who he is, but nobody else does. Nobody in Egypt cares about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Nobody cares about their God and about the promise and their, and their, their land that's supposed to be. And so he must have thought even while he was a slave and then while he was in jail, I guess I'm not included in that plan. That, that promise of God must have been for my brothers and the family will carry it on, but it's not for me. And maybe he even thought, you know, God isn't here because gods were considered very territorial at that time and attached to a specific geographical area. So maybe the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob isn't in Egypt. Maybe he's not there. And, and then even once everything changes, you go, oh, isn't that great? He's deputy pharaoh now. He's second in command. He's well, great. What does that have to do with God's promise? Nothing. It has nothing to do with the family becoming, you know, lots of descendants and all nations will be blessed through you. There's still no connection to his family, which is crucial to the promise. There's still no connection to his homeland, which is crucial to the promise. And, you know, he's still got these dreams that God gave him or he thought God gave them to him about his brothers bowing down. And that happened years ago. And it seems so real at the time. But, I mean, you know, whatever. God might have a plan. And, and God might have a story. But Joseph doesn't really seem to be a part of it. And so, to his credit, he doesn't really let him slow, let that slow him down. And he goes, well, okay. He's kind of a bloom where you're planted kind of guy. So he goes, well, I'm, I'm going to work for Pharaoh. And so he starts working for Pharaoh, and he does very well for his boss. And he, he starts saving up the grain for the next seven years and managing it and administrating all this stuff so that it will be available during the famine for a fee, of course, because it's government and nothing is free. And, and then also during this time, you know, Joseph is living and he's doing well. And so he has a family. And it says in Scripture, in Genesis 41, the details aren't in the story here, but they are in Genesis 41. It says, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, which means forget. And he said, I've named him that because God has made me forget all my trouble, and all my father's household. Can I just pause and say, if you have to say God has made me forget, you probably still are remembering just a little bit, okay? The second son, but, but he's found a new life. So the second son, he named Ephraim, which means twice fruitful. And he said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So there's like this bittersweet thing here. There's joy in his family, but there's pain in that this is the land of his suffering. This is trouble that has happened. He's, you know, he's missing his dad. But, but he has, so he hasn't forgotten all of it. It's kind of bittersweet, but it's a little bit painful. But indeed, God has still been there, it seems. And Joseph can't possibly imagine the future, and he doesn't have any idea how any of this is going to matter in the future. But he's choosing to just live well with what he's been given. So he does his job, and he stores up grain and manages it, and it keeps the records and all of that, and then starts selling it in the lean years at a profit to his employer, to, to Pharaoh. And the more the need grows, the more he sells. And the famine continues to spread, and now it's not just local people, but it's people, because remember, Egypt was huge, and it was powerful, it was influential. And so people from outside of Egypt are coming, going, we're hungry, and, and they want food, and they've heard that Egypt has food, and they're willing to pay. 
And so he's managing all of this, and every day there's people in line, and there's crowds of people, and they're coming from all over to buy food. And one day he's just doing his job and selling the food and doing what he's supposed to be doing, and he, something just catches his eye over here, and he just, he just does a double take. And I don't know if he, if he saw, you know, uh, 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 somebody striding, and it looked a little bit familiar, like, I, I know that walk. Or if he heard a voice and it triggered some memories, or if he recognized an accent, but there's something familiar about all of them, and he goes, oh, it's his brothers. It's his brothers. All of them except Benjamin. And he hasn't seen them in 22 years. And the last time he saw them, they were high-fiving and pocketing money and laughing as they sold him off to slavery. And so it says in, on page 34 and in Genesis um, 42, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams. And he does some strange things. And there's all kinds of, you know, messages and sermons and interpretations out there of why Joseph did what he did. Maybe it was very strategic. Maybe he was testing, testing them. Maybe it was very intentional. I don't know. Maybe he was just caught completely off guard. And maybe he was totally triggered just with all of these memories and the flashback. And, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that's them. And maybe he's overwhelmed and he doesn't know what to do. And until he knows what to do, he, he doesn't want to tell them who he is. But he also doesn't want to let them disappear again. And so he, just, so he just does some, so he detains them for a while. And then sometimes he speaks really kindly to them. And sometimes he speaks really harshly to them. And then he throws them in jail for a few days. I don't know why. Maybe to go, yeah, you want to know what, what it's like? I don't know. And then he asks them all kinds of fam of questions about their family and they think it's an interrogation like at customs or at immigration they think he's interrogating them and really he's just trying to find out how his dad is doing and how his little brother is and he just wants it but he can't tell them that that's what he's doing and there are several places in this story which is a long story there are several places in this story where it says that joseph wept just, you know, he would just, just turn away and privately just try to pull it together and, and just, and there were other times he had to leave the room because he just couldn't hold it together. It's just too emotional. And I can't even imagine the emotional turmoil. And so he says to them, okay, you got to go home. You're telling me you have a little brother at home because remember Benjamin hadn't come. He's saying you have a little brother at home. You need to go bring him back and, and go, but I'm keeping one of you here as insurance in jail, and he's going to stay in jail until you bring your little brother back here. And so that's a whole thing, but they do, and they bring Benjamin back. And then he says, okay, I'm going to take Benjamin, and I'm going to make him a slave. And it's, it's a, he seems to be wondering if they've changed. If, if they'd be willing to sell off another little brother into slavery, you know, to try to, just to save their own skins, just to have a profit to themselves. And he's going, are you willing to do this? Because I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. And it turns out they're not willing. And Judah, who is not the oldest brother, but seems to be the one that's the leader of all of them. He's the one with the most influence. He takes a deep breath, and this is what he says. 
on page 38. Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to you. Don't be angry with your servant, although you are equal to Pharaoh himself. And he tells Joseph this story. Your servant, my father, that's Jacob, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And one of them went away from me, that's Joseph. And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces. And I haven't seen him since. And if you take this one, Benjamin, from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. This is what Jacob had said to Judah. So now Judah says to Joseph, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, Jacob, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that Benjamin isn't there, he will die. So Judah takes a deep breath. Please let me remain here as your slave in place of Benjamin and let Benjamin return home with his brothers. And that's when Joseph loses it. Just loses it. And he sends everybody out of the room, all the servants, all the Egyptians, he sends them all out of the room except for his brothers. And he told them who he was. And it says in Scripture that he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. That's some loud weeping. That's some gut-wrenching sobs. That is just no control, wailing, sobbing. And I'm sure that there are a million reasons why that just came out of him like that. I'm sure that, that he's finally letting out the pain of what was done to him. Or he's letting out this giant secret that he's been keeping from his brothers going, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother. Or maybe he's, it's seeing his little brother that he remembers as a kid and he missed him so much and now he's all grown up. It's 22 years later and he just loves him so much. Or maybe it's hearing that his dad is alive and his dad is doing well and he goes, I have my own two boys now and, I, and I'm going to be able to introduce them to my dad. I'm going to get to show my boys to, to their grandpa Jacob. And all of that just comes crashing in on him at the same time as this overwhelming realization, this amazing realization that all things this time, all this time, God's plan was right on track. And that God had not forgotten his plan. And that more than that, God had not left Joseph out of his story. And he had not let him be pushed out of the story. And in fact, even more than that, while Joseph was in Egypt, cut off from everything that seemed to be about God, cut off from his family, cut off from the land, way outside of the way things were supposed to be, it would seem that God was actually at work in that. And he was actively preparing to bring good out of evil. God had absolutely been there all along. And it was still God's story and Joseph was absolutely still a part of it. I would have sobbed too. I've had times in my life, and maybe you have too, when I have sobbed, when I have been holding on to my faith with everything I've got, knowing 
I'm not sure it's enough. And, and looking around and all that I have is barely enough because nothing is adding up and it's not going the way it's supposed to and there was supposed to be a plan and that's not what's happening and things were supposed to go this way and God gave promises and where is God because I am hurting so badly I think I might just die. And then there's a moment, a moment when, when it becomes so very crystal clear in the middle of that pain In the middle of that hurt, it becomes so clear that God is still there and that he has not left. And not only that, he's actually redeeming the things that have caused me pain. And he's getting ready to bring something good out of evil. And I'm still part of his story. And his story is still on track. And in those moments... I've cried too. I get why Joseph cried. And Joseph realizes that he is part of something much bigger than he ever imagined. And he says to his brothers, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And Joseph sends his brothers home, and he tells them to double time it, you know, get there, pack up, get dad, and bring the whole family back here. And so, so Jacob and his boys and all the boys' families, all of them who would become the 12 tribes of Israel and all of their families, they come and they, they, the boys go home and they get them and they bring them all back to Egypt to save them from the famine, which, by the way, is how they got to Egypt, in case you were wondering. And that's nearly the end of Joseph's story, but not quite. And is definitely not the end of God's story. And decades later, so now Joseph's boys, Ephraim, Manasseh, they've grown up and they've had kids of their own. And their kids have had kids. And now he's a grandfather and a great-grandfather. And Joseph's story ends with these words to his family. This is what he says at the end of his life. I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, out of Egypt. To the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph is so sure of this, he says to his family, And when God does that, you must carry my bones up from this place. Take me with you. When God does that, you take me with you because this is God's story. And it is not finished. And it's still not finished. And so I'm going to ask if you would just bow your heads at this moment and close your eyes. I want to give you a moment to allow God to connect with you. And for some of you, you've heard this story a thousand times. And some of us, it's the first time we've heard it or the first time we've heard it like this. And for sure, there will be people that are here this morning And you need to hear that your story is not finished. Your story is not finished. You've been called to belong to Jesus. 
You've been created to be a part of God's story. And your story is not finished. And no matter where you are, and no matter what you're dealing with in your life, no matter what obstacles you're facing or the questions that you have or the pain that you're in or the uncertainty that's just causing you to have sleepless nights, no matter all of that, no matter how off track things might seem, you might feel like you are in Joseph's version of Egypt. Here's what I want you to hear today. God knows exactly where you are. He has not lost you. He has not forgotten you. And he is absolutely there with you. And he is more than able to bring good out of the place that you're in. God knows exactly where you are. He is absolutely there with you. And he is more than able to bring good out of the place that you are in. Because it's still his story. And you are still part of it. And you go, Patty, I don't know. You don't know my secrets. You don't know my shame. You don't know the stuff that's buried deep in my heart. You don't know the stuff that makes me want to burst out in sobs just like that. And I say to you, if God can take Joseph in slavery in Egypt and use that to save his whole family, which would become a nation, if God can take the disaster of the Garden of Eden and the sin that happened there, and, and use that and start working towards Jesus. If God can do that, he can bring good from wherever you are too. And he can bring good out of the space that you are in. And we sang earlier that song, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. And that is true. Just invite him in. Just whisper a prayer at this moment that says, God, it's really hard, but I'm inviting you into those spaces. I'm inviting you to make me part of your story and to bring your story into my life and to bring good out of the pain that's there. The parts everybody knows and the part that nobody knows. God, would you redeem that? And would you bring good out of it? Because your word says that you can. Just take a moment and whisper that prayer and invite him in. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as we close. Just stand. You can see that all around the room at the ministry stations that we have, we have ministry team people that are there, and they would be really happy to pray with you and to just connect with you if that would be helpful to you this morning. So there's some halfway back and at the back and at the front, and they're there. 
They're there to pray with you. But meanwhile, every one of us, we have a job to do. We have a job to carry Jesus out to a world that desperately needs him. And so God, at this moment, as we bring our service to a close, we ask that you would help us now to carry Jesus well. And as we walk out of here with renewed hope and strength and help in our own lives, would you help us to carry that to a world that needs Jesus? Help us as we go to our families and our classrooms and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and all the places where we spend our days. Would you help us to do good and love each other and reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him and bring us back safely next Sunday and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Come and receive prayer if you want to. You can stay and pray in the space here if you want to. But make sure you say hi to somebody. Go to the Connect Cafe and get a coffee. Have a great week. and We'll see you next Sunday.